Hello and welcome to the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University. I'm a professor and I'm also a licensed therapist. Today is just me. I thought I would just talk about what's in the news today. Let's just go to the first thing that pops up on Google News regarding psychology. The first thing here is Powerball payout reaches over $1 billion. The Psychology Behind Why People Play the Lottery, written by Blair Nicole. This is someone with two first names, Blair Nicole, kind of like that. So depending on when this comes out, because this will probably come out later than when I'm recording it, but yeah, the Powerball is up to $1 billion or something like that. See, yeah, over $1 billion. Wow, that's a lot of money. But isn't like, you know... A hundred million, a lot of money. <laughs> I don't know why people play more when there's one billion. I mean, when it's a hundred million, wouldn't that pretty much be a filthy amount of money? But anyway, they ask. They're talking in this article about the psychology of of why people buy money. Because for for people who don't buy lottery tickets, it's a bit of a confusing thing, you know. People will say, "Well, don't you understand that you you're." chance of winning the lottery is less than getting struck by lightning twice in your life or you know some sort of statistic like that i think the i think the odds are something like almost one in a billion chance of 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 winning which is basically impossible so you know people who don't play say why would you waste your money that way and it's an interesting question I think it's a little bit of a judgmental question, personally. I don't play the lottery. I don't think I've ever played the lottery, but or the Powerball or whatever. But I've gone to the casinos, and I've played casino games like craps and blackjack and roulette and all that kind of stuff. And mathematically, statistically, I know that I am likely to lose money. And the longer I play, the more likely I'm going to you know, go to the average or what does it say? Progress to the mean or what's the statistical phenomenon? Uh, Regress to the mean? Anyway, the point is, is the longer you do something, the more chance you're going to do average. And if you're doing average in a casino, then you're going to lose money. I mean, I've even played slots and I totally understand how that's rigged against you as well. Well, why do I like to gamble? I, I, I don't play it to win money. By, by any means. I, I, and I've done it enough in my lifetime to know that <laughs> you can't make money gambling. Although I have had friends that have had quote-unquote systems that they claimed would win money. <laughs> I remember this one guy, he, he said that he had a system and he played blackjack. And if he won, so he'd bet $5. And if he won, he would bet $5 again. But if he lost, he would bet $10. That way... If you know, if you lose five dollars, and then the next hand you play ten dollars, then if you win, then you win back your money, and you just keep doing this system. And then if you lose again, then you bet, then you bet fifteen dollars, and if you win that, then you win back the money you lost. And and uh, if you know statistics, you, you know that that just won't work. It's not it's not going to not work. It's not any worse of a plan than any other plan, but. If you play long enough, eventually it's not going to pan out in, in your favor. Anyway, so why do people play play the lottery? Well, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why I, I can imagine why people play the lottery. One is is that 
And, and and incidentally, if they find that the poorer you are, the the lower money you make, the more likely you are to play this thing. And I'll I'll, I'll tell you an analogous situation that I that I claim is analogous. I used to be an ice cream man. I used to be one of those guys that drove around in a ice cream truck with the you know with the music driving at two miles an hour through neighborhoods, and I only did it for one summer. And at the beginning of the summer, my, my beat was in Everett, which is north of Seattle. I had, I had South Everett. And over time, I realized day to day which neighborhoods tended to buy more ice cream. And it was clear that the poorer neighborhoods, they bought way more ice cream than the nice neighborhoods. And it's all speculation. I obviously have no... Uh, data other than that observation as to as to why I don't know why that was that was happening but but my suspicion was this and and, and sometimes I would see evidence of this because the rich kids might come up to me and say I want ice cream and their parents would say something like we have ice cream at home you don't need to buy this crappy ice cream from this random dude driving up in a truck we have ice cream at home or we can go to the store or, or whatever that my speculation is this when you're poor and you don't have much money, you have a hard time entertaining yourself. If, you, if you're rich, you can entertain yourself very easily. You can go to, out to a nice restaurant. You can go to a show. You can go to a movie. You can buy things to entertain yourself. You know? But when you're poor, you're, you're limited in terms of your entertainment. Well, what's a very cheap way to entertain yourself? Well, Back in 1990 or whenever it was that I was an ice cream man, 91, I think. When I came around, you could buy a, a Popsicle for 25 cents. And you, it was a hot day and you're, you're, you're bored. <laughs> there's, there's not much to do. Back then, you only had, what, Sega Genesis and Super NES and um, a lot of really, really bad TV. And, and then you hear this, this music, you know, you hear the, the, what are the, the sting, the, the theme to the sting. What's the, what's, what's the name of that song? Da, 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 the entertainer. And God, I would dream that song late at night. Uh, uh when I would sleep, I, I would just hear that song over and over and over again all day long. It was on a loop anyway. So you hear that music and you're like, oh, hey, ice cream man. And even though the 7-Eleven is across the street, there's something fun about having the ice cream man come. And then you rush out and you, you look at the selection and everyone's there and you, 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 know, you get your ice cream and you're standing there in the sun and you know, in the parking lot and it's a little communal moment with your neighbors and hey, what's up, you know, da 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 and so it was, it was a fun moment, whereas I would go to the rich neighborhoods and hardly anyone would come out. <laughs> and, you know, uh, again, it's just speculation uh, that the, it, the rich families, they, they had money to entertain themselves. They didn't need the ice cream man to entertain them. Well, I think the lotto is similar to that in that when you're poor not only do you have limited ways of entertaining yourself, but you also have limited ways of, of having hope in your life, of having dreams. When you're upper middle or middle class, you have hope for the future. You have retirement. You are saving money up. You might be going on a trip in 
six months to some exotic land. You're you're looking forward to the future. You you have you're building a nest egg, or you're building a retirement fund, or you're building a college fund for your kids. You 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 have hope for the future. When you're poor, you. You, it's you might have hope among some things, but it's harder to find those things when you're living paycheck to paycheck. Well, what's a very quick way you can have some of that hope, some of that hope that the middle class and the upper middle class have? That is, is buying a lotto ticket for I don't know how much lotto tickets cost a dollar. I don't know for a very low amount of money. You can have a dream. You can. You can live that dream for that moment. And there's anticipation. You could be holding on to that winning ticket. Now it's a one in a billion chance, but it could be you. And you think, man, what would I do with that money? What would I do? I could pull myself out of this. And then when the numbers come up on TV, or do they come up on TV? I'm I'm basing all my knowledge of the lotto from when it first became uh, invented in Washington State. I think it was in the 80s when it first came around and every Sunday or something, uh, one of the local channels would have this woman, all these balls would be like bouncing around in this chamber uh, that was being blown around by air. And then she would pull this lever and one ball would come flying up into the, to the chamber. And then she would turn it around to show the number to the camera and she would do six, I think. Anyway, do they do that? I have no idea. They, they somehow communicate to you what your... It's probably an app on your phone now or something. Anyway, you're, you, the numbers are coming up, and maybe you get one or two close or, or something, and you think, oh, man, I almost got it. And, you know, that's a, that's a heart pounder. You're, you're having a little bit of fun, and for a very low amount of money, for, I don't know how much they cost, $2 or something. So, so that's, I think, one of the main reasons why people do it. I, I, in this article that I'm reading, they, as people speculate that it's because essentially people are delusional or something, that they believe that they can win even though they don't understand statistics. And certainly that's true. Most people have a hard time with statistics because why would they want to study such a boring topic? <laughs> and it's not natural to understand uh, probability. But, but I think more likely it's, it's this other part. It's this, you, you get to have a dream and you get to have a fun moment and you get to have hope for the future when uh, for many people it's, it's hard to have that hope. Here's a quote from the, uh, from someone is, uh, this, the writer is quoting someone else Anyway, it says, people would be far better off taking the time they spend purchasing Powerball tickets on clearing out their old junk and selling it online or at a pawn shop. Not only would it be productive, but they'd make and save money in the process. I understand the concept of having hope, but it's just not logical, end quote. Again, this is judgmental of people's activities. If, if everyone had their expenditures and activities scrutinized by other people that didn't do those activities, everyone would be judged. All of us, particularly in America, since we are very privileged to live in a, in a very rich society, all of us do things that are ridiculous. 
I mean, reading this article is a waste of time. How does this, how does this article benefit me in any way? It do, doesn't. Uh, so we could judge people all we want, but I don't think that's very nice to people. Man, there's a lot of articles on the psychology of buying the lottery. A lot of, a lot of people weighing in on the psychology of the lottery. Here's the third article I can find on Google News. It's, I, I'm just looking at psychology articles, and three out of the first five articles are about the lottery. And uh, let's see, this one's uh, by Amber Krika, and it's on ABC 36. Uh, some sort of local ABC affiliate. And the writer is, is quoting a licensed professional counselor named Larry Vaughn. And uh, he says, When we get excited about the lottery or the possibility of this happening, it's the amygdala part of the brain that's kind of lighting up like a Christmas tree, says Larry Vaughn, a licensed professional clinical counselor. Larry Vaughn is, I think, talking out of his ass, I'm sorry to say. Let me just let me just read this quote again. When we get excited about the lottery or the possibility of this happening, it's the amygdala part of the brain that's kind of lighting up like a Christmas tree, says Larry Vaughn, a licensed professional clinical counselor. Oh boy. Okay, so when we get excited about the lottery, our amygdala kind of lights up like a Christmas tree. Sounds sounds funny to me uh, because amygdala is the part of the brain that's associated with fear, so that's a little funny. I would imagine that the lottery, if anything, would have something to do with dopamine. His next quote actually makes sense to me. He says, we are social creatures, and so when a group of people get excited about something, it's really easy to join in, unquote. Yes, that's absolutely true. We all like to be a part of group uh, activities. I think that's something that... I, I, it took me a long time to realize this, actually. And I think that uh, a lot of people overlook the, this, this notion. I think we like to believe that we're individuals and acting on our individual desires and wants and thoughts. But so much of what we do has to do with th- what's happening around us and the, the society in which we live in. And the group movements that occur over time. He goes on to say something that I also agree with. He says, it's a way for people to escape. It's hopeful. It's exciting. It's, it's relieving. It's distracting. And given what's going on in our society, in our, in our lives, in our society, people could use some distraction, unquote. So the first part of this, I, I totally agree with. It's a way for people to escape. We all look for ways to escape. We go to movies to escape. We watch sports to escape. We drink alcohol to escape. We go camping or hiking to escape. We, we really love to escape from the stress of our life. That is absolutely true. And the lottery, I imagine, is part of that. But then he goes on to say something that... It's just a pet peeve of mine when people say this sort of thing. It's like, and given what's going on in our lives, in our society, people could use some distraction. This is a, uh, just, as I've talked about this before. Uh, the reason, I don't know why this is a pet peeve. Uh, you know, I, I suppose I should have more significant pet peeves. But the pet peeve, but the pet peeve of mine is, is, how many times can I say a pet peeve in, in one podcast? Pet peeve, pet peeve. The, the reason why I don't like this is because it, it, it doesn't understand the 
history of our world and our society. When people say, oh, times today are tough and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, times are tough. And for people, they can be tough. For individuals, there's, there's strife, there's suffering, there's unfairness. But the, by no means are we living in a time of particular stress and particular difficulty right now. If you understand history, you understand there have been, there's been difficulty throughout the history of the world. There's always been difficulty. And we don't really have a metric to measure one time as having more or less difficulty than, than another. But when you study history enough, you realize that things have been screwed up in very similar ways for eternity. When people talk about, oh, the, the, the political situation in America is so tense right now, and it's, it's because the only reason why you think that is because you've either, either forgotten how tense they were in the past or you just don't know how tense they were in the past because you're too young or you weren't following it back then <laughs> or something. But if you study history, you understand that there have been massive, massive tensions in, in our society and difficulties and, and you know, uh, strife and stressful things. And uh, now is, again, there's no metric to say, I'll just say we're, we always have difficulty, and right now we don't have any more difficulty. And it could be argued, and historians will argue this, that we actually have much less difficulty now than we have had in the past. Not that we don't have difficulty, and not that we don't have things that we should be working on, and we should, and we are. But to say that now is particularly difficult and we need the lottery to escape from that is, uh, I don't know, it's just a pet peeve of mine. I don't know why. You know, people have pet peeves and they don't have to explain it. I don't have to explain my pet peeves to nobody. You can't judge me. I don't judge you for your pet peeves. So lay off, people. Just joking. Just joking. Let's see. The uh, counselor goes on to say, the decision to buy a lottery ticket and when you're actually buying a lottery ticket, there's a sense of euphoria. That's neurochemical, which is the same chemical that works when we're feeling any type of pleasure response. This is the sort of, uh, end quote, this is the sort of crap that um, uh, gets on my nerves as well. Every decision you make that you want to make that feels good is neurochemical. Every thought you have is neurochemical. Every experience of the brain is neurochemical. So to say that buying a lottery ticket is neurochemical is a ridiculous statement <laughs> to me. And it's just, this, it's, it's just this kind of biological neuroscience gobbledygook that you'll hear a lot in the media. The fact is, and you've heard me talk about this before, we don't understand the brain that well. We're, we're learning more and more every day, but, but we don't really understand it very well. And so what happens is when you have a, a, a lot of holes in the science, but a, a few things that you do know and a few jargony words that people learn about outside of neuroscience, you'll find that people start using them in this meaningless way. Again, the decision to buy a lottery ticket, and when you're actually buying a lottery ticket, there's a sense of euphoria. Okay, you know, that, yes, there's a sense of euphoria. Whenever you buy something you want, Whenever you do anything, when you eat a burger, you get a sense of euphoria. 
when you drink that first cup of coffee in the morning, you get a sense of euphoria. When you get a text from your friend, you get a sense of euphoria. That's a duh, you know, that, that statement. It, it The reason why I don't like these statements is because it tricks the public into believing that the person saying it is saying something advanced and, and neuroscience-y. But all they're saying is just a commonsensical notion that when you buy something you want, it feels good. It's like, no duh. And then he goes on to say, that's neurochemical, which is the same chemical that works when we're feeling any type of pleasure response. Again, I, I can't really fault the person saying this. I guess I should fault the writer for including this in an article. It, the, the writer is trying to come across as like providing some kind of scientific explanation for the lottery. And incidentally, they should have reached out to a social scientist or a neuroscientist, but they, they reached out to a counselor. And counselors don't know, uh, they aren't necessarily going to know any more about this sort of thing than a layperson. And from the quotes, it sounds very, uh, uh, very layperson-y. Well, I had no idea I was going to talk about that for so long. Um, <laughs> I thought I was going to read various different news articles, and I ended up just basically talking about one topic for the whole time, about the lottery. Well, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me. Please become a patron of the podcast. I'm doing daily podcasts, I think, for the entire month of January as a way of trying to show you what uh, you, we can do with this thing. This this podcast is only a small part of my week in which I am doing all the various other things with my life and the other people involved, Paulette, Umberto. They, we all have jobs, and in order for us to dedicate more time to this and maybe make quality episodes every day. You know, these, these daily episodes aren't necessarily quality. They're just sort of um, haphazard to some extent. But if we have more patrons, we might be able to dedicate a lot more time. We might be able to get like interns and researchers. And I don't know, I have big dreams. I have big dreams, people. So please become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. That's patreon.com pledge to the podcast to become a patron and know that you get access to premium content and part of your pledge goes toward different charities that we support. All right. Thanks. Please take care of yourself out there because you are worth it. (laughs) 